0: On today's show, we have an unbelievable interview with ex-NHLer Randy Moeller. He gets into embarrassing draft stories, world juniors in the 80s, playing and protecting Hall of Famers such as Peter Stastny, Pat LaFontaine, and many more. We then get into our past weekends, including the UFC fights, how much money Nathan lost, and how jealous Kale was of Nathan. And as always, we give the people their shower thought of the day. Let's go.
1: I'm Nathan Baylor. I'm Caleb Houston. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Minimal Minimal. This amazing interview with Randy Muller is brought to you by none other than Shoddy. But wait, same company, new ad read, so listen closely, we got some good news for you fans. This company is revolutionizing jewelry, one shoddy at a time. These necklaces are multi-function and one hell of a conversation starter. These incredible necklaces have a shotgun tool built into every single pennant. They will tear through beer cans and create a perfect hole every time for you to guzzle down your drinks. For everyone listening right now, we are offering a special discount code just for you. Use MFverse20 for 20% off your next purchase at theshoddy.com. That's T-H-E-C-H-O-T-Y dot com. They've got everything from the Canada design to a mullet man shoddy. Follow these beauties at the shoddy on Instagram, and
0: you'll see why you need this. Yeah, I mean, you butchered it the first three <laughs> fucking, times.
1: Oh, wow. It's yeah. been a while. Fuck me. I haven't spoken
0: yeah. for like two weeks. Uh, we won't get into too much. We won't talk too much here, but I mean, we just finished the interview about probably an hour ago. I mean, he was fucking yeah. unbelievable. He was really good. It's, it was so much fun. He was He was really like... I said this, like, right when we got off, he was so natural, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, and there's a reason why he's in media now. I mean, he mm-hmm. talks so well, and he's such a good, like, natural storyteller. I mean, we just asked, like, we'd ask him questions, like, you know, what was, like, playing back then. But then he would talk about it, and then he'd be like, and here's a story about that time, yeah. right? Which was, fuck- like, it made it so much easier for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and it made, like, honestly, it made the interview a lot more fun as well. So
1: Absolutely. And, like, I was, I'll admit, right now, I was a little bit nervous before because... I I don't know this. guy. I didn't know him before, and he's an ex NHL player, so it's kind of cool. It's I mean, it's I played hockey. You played hockey, so getting to interview an ex NHL player is huge. Um, but he was so like just everything was just flow. And after like the first five minutes, it was like shit. This is actually gonna be a lot of fun. So, yeah, he for, was. He was a tough guy. Minutes. I
0: mean, for anyone who like doesn't even like listen or I mean, guess sorry, watch or played hockey. I mean, it's a really fun interview. He gets into cool stories about just being around the, around that time, and I mean how different the lifestyle really was mm-hmm. back then. Um, most kids our age probably won't know um, who he is, but I guarantee you all your moms and dads probably will if you guys ever watch hockey. So Absolutely. Um, Kale. do you have anything else before we send it over?
1: No, I got nothing. Just enjoy the interview and tell your fathers because they'll know him.
0: Yeah, tell your dads. All right, uh, without further ado, we are going to send it over to Randy Moeller. All right, we are pleased to welcome on an ex nhler who played over 800 games, racked up over 1,600 penalty minutes over a span of 14 seasons, and won a World Junior Gold Medal for Team Canada in 1982. He is now the Vice President of Broadcasting for the Florida Panthers and TV Color Analyst. It is our pleasure to bring on Randy Moeller. First off, thank you so much for coming on. Um, How are you doing in Florida right now?
2: Great, great guys. Great to be on with your podcast. And uh yeah, I think it's a little warmer down here than it is in uh in Alberta.
0: Yeah, you can't argue that for a second.
1: It hasn't been too terrible. Yeah, we've had a pretty easy winter, but it's it's soon to come around the corner. I can I can promise you that much. Oh yeah. Yeah. So uh before we get into the more intellectual questions, there's one I just want to get out of the way. I need to ask. So your Hakka DB picture has some very, very thick chest hair that Either looks like you shaved it to stop it before your neck. So two questions: Did you stop your chest or there intentionally and not realize the jersey didn't cover it, or is there a natural stoppage of the chest right below your neck?
2: I I've I've been growing body hair since I've been about seven years old. So <laughs> maybe that maybe that explains why uh, I was uh, able to get into the bars in my hometown in
1: Red Deer when I was yeah. fifteen. No fake ID, uh, nothing. Just walked right in. No,
2: you got what I—I I mean, I, my five o'clock shadow starts at about two fifteen in the <laughs> afternoon. So I've never—the only problem is now, guys, and and you'll 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 probably experience it when you get to my age, whether. You can't grow any hair where you want to, but you can grow it everywhere else in your nose and ears and back and everywhere
0: else. So can't wait for uh, those yeah, days. Luckily we're not we're not there yet. Um, not, exa- not there yet. Yeah. Uh so that's kind of funny. We were I wanted to start off with kind of a story that I kind of heard um from when you're back in Red Deer, uh, a story involving your mom's vehicle when uh you and a couple buddies might have taken it out before any of you had your licenses. Um so kind of tell us about uh exactly how that went down and how you found a way out of that predicament.
2: Well, uh, my parents, we used to have a trailer and they would go out and park it either, a, you know, Pine Lake, which is close to Red Deer, Sylvan Lake, uh, Buffalo Lake, different places. And they used to go out on weekends. And when I got to be, what, 14, um, they trusted my brother and I, Mike, uh, to stay home alone and that. And my father, he purchased this old car it was uh early 19 uh mid 1965 ford with the three on the tree and the whole bed and he parked it in the back and a couple times he let me go out and drive it with him and that's how basically i learned how to drive when i was 14. and that and they went out camping one weekend and i had a few buddies over and also, there was this huge dance. We had friends that are up uh, in Wetaskiwin, north of Red Deer. Yeah. They were having a huge dance up there. And we wanted to go there in the worst way. Of course, we had no way of getting there. And the temptation was just too much. Just too much. <laughs> and the keys were left on the dresser in my parents' bedroom. And we decided, well, me and three of my buddies, we decided, let's, uh, let's go for a spin and then... We got brave enough after driving around the uh, the neighborhood for a while that maybe we should do a little road trip, and so we headed up to Itasquin. Uh, Couldn't find the dance. We got up <laughs> there too late, and we were driving downtown with Tasquin, and uh, sure enough, we get pulled over by the police. <laughs> so we spent the night, and the, the funny story was, my father was an RCMP. For a few years in Watasquin and knew all the police officers there.
0: Yeah, every single one.
2: And so they were able to get a hold of him at the campsite and that. And one of my friends, Ricky Bowles, his father had to come and pick us up. And my father just made a phone call. To a good friend of his that had a car dealership in Wetasquin and told him just go pick up the car and sell the car so that was the end of <laughs> so that was that just was the that was got the, rid of the evidence yeah I got rid of it and that <laughs> and uh yeah my parents were were not too not too impressed but um it was uh about a year later uh, I was only 15 I was working construction in between playing hockey and I had my own car without a license. I bought my own car and that's, so I'd get back and forth to the, uh, to the construction site out East of Red Deer and that. So that, yeah, that's the story. Uh, there's, yeah. there's many stories like that. Uh, I don't recommend it to anybody or <laughs> yeah. anybody
0: that's listening, but um, yeah, there's a, a, few lot stories. a lot different nowadays for sure. Like, I don't think that, I don't think that would be doable nowadays for any of us without our licenses. No. So
1: even in small towns yeah. nowadays too, there's always something that, that you can't do anymore that you could do 30, 40 years ago. And,
2: and, and the funny part, a funny part of it was when we got pulled over and the police officer and another police car came and of course they knew my father, and they were walking back to the car, and of course, we were just petrified sitting in the car. What are we gonna do? What's gonna happen to us? what? And they're killing themselves laughing. They're <laughs> killing themselves laughing. So it was kind of a it was kind of a big joke in that. And I think they had a lot of fun with my father teasing my father over their oh, um, sure. yeah, their delinquent
1: son. That's awesome. Um, so I guess fast forward two or three years from there, we'll get into your junior career now. And yeah. my first question would be how did you manage to get over 400 penalty minutes in just two seasons cuz that's unheard of nowadays obviously. Uh bad refereeing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all blame yeah, that I guess. That's eh? definitely what it
2: was. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was one of the bigger guys and and playing junior hockey and and that, and that was my style. It was said and at the time guys, you remember back in the just the early um 80s, early eighties and that in leading up to my draft year, that was when they were just coming out of the broad street bullies, the Philadelphia flyers. And yeah. there was a lot of tough players that played in the NHL. So scouts are looking for, cause they believe that's the way the game is going to continue to be played, which obviously we all know now that skill has taken over and, and those days are, are thankfully long gone, but they're always looking for big physical, especially right-handed shooting defensemen that was tough, that could fight and that. And um, I played into it. I, I mean that was part of my it was part of my uh DNA, it was part of my makeup. And I knew that if I played that style, that I'd have a good chance of um possibly, you know, having a good junior career and possibly get drafted. I didn't know that I'd be drafted in the first round, but um uh and like I said, obviously the game has changed now, and I'm just—it's amazed how the skill level of the players that are getting drafted, especially defensemen, mm-hmm, all these yeah. th- young defensemen that can handle a puck and and lead the rush, and yeah, and, that, looks- and, that's, and that's and that's the exciting part. But back then, that wasn't the case. If if you were a five foot nine or five foot ten, 160 and sixty pound defenseman, you didn't have a chance to make in the NHL unless unless you were really really skilled. And had a mean streak, but uh I'm just glad the game has changed.
0: Yeah, no, I mean you look at guys, you could just take two guys from the same team, you could look at Kale McCarr and Bowen and byram like two unbelievable skaters who I mean, yes, they they obviously can protect themselves and they throw big hits every once in a while, but I wouldn't say either of those guys have a mean streak to them at all. So
2: No, and we just, and the, the, you know, with the Panthers, we just uh, played against Vancouver Canucks with Quinn Hughes. Oh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, Adam Fox with the New York Rangers. And that that's the way the game's going now. I mean, um, the, I, I, I like to tell the story now what, towards the end of my career because the game had started to change by the time I was finishing my career. And I was known as a stay-at-home defenseman. <laughs> the, <laughs> The only problem was at the end, the team told me to stay at home.
1: So, <laughs> I took the term too literally, I yeah. guess. Eh?
2: Yeah, yeah. Stay at home <laughs> defenseman. Now you have to stay at home. So, uh,
1: <laughs>
0: not quite <yeah>. the same. <laughs> now, uh, we'll go back to quickly the uh, World Juniors. I mentioned that in the intro. Mm-hmm. So, kind of um, just kind of talk through that experience. I mean, not only what it, what it was like winning gold, but also winning it with your brother.
2: Yeah, it was a special time in our lives. And uh, there was a number of different uh, aspects of that. Um, And and it is hard to believe for young people like yourself that are watching this podcast that back in the day, they didn't even televise the tournament. So a few of the games were on radio and that um, we were really that year were really uh, we, we won the gold medal and I think that opened up a lot of eyes and, and that that it, it, it's become a, a very popular tournament and the, the media and the fan interest really bolstered that when we won it that year. Um, a lot of people don't realize that the, the tournament was split into two spots. It started in Winnipeg and then it ended up in Minneapolis, Minnesota and a couple of games around Minnesota. We actually won uh, and clinched the gold medal game in Rochester, Minnesota, which is an hour and a half south of Minneapolis. Yeah. And uh, we played in front of maybe 1,800 fans. Uh, that was yeah. it. And we nowadays. played a couple games. Yeah. And then now, of course, you know, with TSN and and millions of people watching and, you know, 15,000, 18,000 people in attendance at uh, wherever they play the tournament. But um, the other thing was, yes, uh, my brother Mike, uh, was a, you know, I was able to play with him. Uh that was a great feeling. He ended up scoring the uh the game-tying goal for us to clinch wow. his jersey's in the Hockey Hall of Fame in Toronto uh for that feat. And the last thing was uh, my father, he and Troy Murray uh Troy Murray's father actually came to the tournament in Winnipeg and and uh watched the the first couple of games there and when we beat the with Russians on Christmas Day and and that, so for my father to be there, there was a special time and to play with my brother and, and we had a great time, but at the time guys, we had no idea like the way the tournament it is now and the media focus and everybody, you know, playing for team Canada and, and that we just got brought together and Hey, uh, yeah, we're uh, playing in a tournament and, uh, your name's on our list. Would you like to uh, show up in Winnipeg and, uh, <laughs> Okay. Can my brother come? Hey, Mike. <laughs> yeah, we're going on the team. And, and, and that, and really had no knowledge of it, you know, cause the history of it now, now you talk like yourselves and, 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 and kids that are 15, 16, 17 years old, or even younger than that uh, about playing for the world junior championship and represent your country. It's a special, special thing. Just like playing for the Olympics at the time, it was just, Oh, it's just this tournament that they're having and uh and that but it was it was a great feeling and I'm very honored very
0: honored to be a part of it yeah, yeah and sure. wasn't it um before like I think it was only a couple of years before they changed it so that way like before it was just the winning team of the CHL didn't that who represented did that change Correct. like a couple of years before you got chosen
2: I I think that w- might have been guys that might have been the first year that they actually didn't just take one team. They, they actually took an all-star team and, 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 a, and a cross. Another side story that you guys will like this one. Um, so we're getting ready to play our first game. And we hear that they're going to bring in a player. And they, they end up bringing in a player, Garth Butcher, who was a very tough and uh, player and played for the Regina Pack Capitals and and very tough, but he was a good player as well and they brought him in and right before the tournament they we had to cut a player it was the Hall of Famer Al McGinnis of the California oh, so, Times. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Imagine God. that. Yeah. Al McGinnis. Al McGinnis got, got got cut and he was so upset. And we were upset as well and, and that. But uh, kind of a footnote, you know, he ends up having a Hall of Fame career yeah. and then and,
1: and, and that, but he he got cut and and, and uh, right before the tournament. So that must have lot a fire under his ass then and motivated him because he, oh. he had quite a career for himself. Boy, could he shoot the puck?
2: Yeah, yeah. Chopper could really cho- <laughs> shoot that puck and that. You know, I mean, he's a, I got to know him, obviously played against him my whole career and and uh, excellent. And now he's a very successful uh, part of the St. Louis Blues, you know, yeah. management yeah. and that. He's done
1: He's done a very good job. And um, it is crazy too how you mentioned, like how big of a tournament the World Juniors is now compared to back then. Like I'd say probably aside from the Stanley Cup, it's one of the most viewed like weekends or even days, like the gold medal game of all yeah. of the whole entire year in hockey. And yeah, and like it's not just Canada and US now. You see the Finns, the Czechs, the Swedes, everyone's just getting better and better. And yeah, do you remember was there any like big name Russians or Swedes or Finns back when you played that year that you remember?
2: Um, uh, there was uh, Ruzitska that ended up winning the, I think he won the, the, uh, tournament MVP wow. from the from the Czech Republics, uh, the Czech team, and he ended up playing a number of years in Boston. But um, And then there was a, a, a player that played for the Czech team as well, Yuri Dudacek, that was the first-round pick of the Buffalo Sabres, and unfortunately he lost his life, I believe it was in a traffic accident a few years after that. Um, other than that, yeah, I played – I mean, there was, uh, I think, Esa Tikkanen I played against um, – there was a couple others I I I, I don't think Yarmir Yager was there no he he was too young at the time but there's mm-hmm. there, there was a few of them Risto Siltanen, I think was with yeah. Finland at the right. time and that but uh, yeah um back then it just it, because the in North America dominated they especially Canada dominated the draft Mm-hmm. You know, it used to be at one point, I think, well, my draft year, I mean, 80 percent of the players that were drafted that year were from Canada. Yeah. And then yeah. and then you had, you know, 10 or 15 percent were American. And then you sprinkled in a, a, a few of the Europeans from Finland, Sweden and and what have you uh, at that time. uh it was impossible for any of the communist countries to come over legally, you know, I mean, and that until uh, the Alex McGilney and, of course, yeah. Fatisov and sneaking them Larry in. Yeah. Anoff and all those that that happened a few years later. So um now the draft, as you guys watch the draft, I mean, it is wide open,
0: and it's worldwide, and
2: and so many countries are represented in the, in the draft.
0: Yeah, no, and I think that's just has to do with the fact there was obviously, like, less resources back then, right? I mean, obviously, there was a lot of countries that weren't legally allowed to come over but I mean NHL's team started realizing that there is a shit ton of good players over there right and what does that make an impact so
2: okay and then that leads me to another story from the world junior championship of course you had Czech Czechoslovakia or Czech Republic at the time or I'm not quite sure uh you had the Russian team uh that came over and we're all in the same hotel all the teams (laughs) stayed in the same hotel so like they had breakfast in 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 one of the the function rooms that from eight till ten, there's the Russian team. The next door, there's the Finns. The Canadians are there. And then and then you'd have, you know, different times for, for the US team and the blah 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 and that. And I, I felt sorry for like especially the Russian uh team. Here's the team and and they couldn't do anything. I mean, we had obviously the freedom. We could go out and do whatever we want. There's a shopping center in Winnipeg right across the street. We could go, they weren't allowed to go anywhere. Um, and I, I think it was a positive yet a negative. The the Russians, especially at that time, it's unfortunate that they'd never seen food that that was that delicious, that yeah. fresh, oh fresh fruit. <clears throat> um, they had bottles of Coca-Cola there and that and these players they were just hoard all this fresh fruit and and six packs of Coca-Cola and take them back to the room because they they, they didn't have an opportunity uh, back in their homeland to have that, that kind. And then I think the food as well, the big breakfasts and the lunches, it was pretty rich for them. Yeah. And they're, they're not, they're not used to that. Um, I traded uh, two pairs of, because I, I got ahead head to right before the tournament I took uh, a couple extra pair of Levi jeans, um, which they 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 have no access to at the time, right. and I traded it for a one of those Russian fur hats, one oh, of the uh, Russian yeah. players, yeah. and that, and he was more thrilled <laughs> yeah. at these ten dollar uh, Levi, <laughs> Levi jeans geez. that I gave him than than uh, giving up the the Russian hat. So you still have it. It, it kind of uh, it's it's back home somewhere, <laughs> uh, back in Red Deer, somebody's got it, but that that just shows how far the game and the world has come oh, but when you tell people that you tell the story like that guys it, it like people are like really oh yeah oh yeah, yeah. this was a communist country um, that was representing and that and they and these unfortunately these players just did not have any freedoms at all and we never saw them unless we were on the ice with them or uh you know, walking past as they were going from the breakfast, lunch, dinner room back to the rooms, never yeah, saw that's,
0: them. Yeah, that's unbelievable. I mean, it kind of just shows like the reality that they lived in, and then obviously the control yeah. at the team and coaches still kept over them when they were even. Oh here. yeah, yeah, it, um, it really was. Yeah,
2: and they and the equipment that they had. These old skates and old gloves, where guys with had no leather on the inside of their of their gloves, and 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 their these old sticks that were all taped up and probably had nails in them and that it really was. I I felt I felt bad. At, at the end of the tournament, I, I remember when we um, when we we tied the Czechs to win the gold medal. Um, right after we won it, the 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 Czech team just came over and they're they're motioning. And that I gave my gloves, I gave my uh, stick yeah. uh, and that and they all like yeah. you were, it was like you were giving them new cars or something and that because um, they wanted to take something back home that they, yeah. they they could remember from the tournament.
0: No, that's crazy. So, well, I guess we'll kind of lighten it up a bit here. But I mean, how big was your ego after you won the world junior goal? Like, did you find that it I mean, <laughs> obviously, you got to stay humble being a kid from just Red Deer. But did you like boost your confidence for the rest of the year?
2: Yeah. Yeah, it did. It did guys. It, it did. But, but the, then again, it, it wasn't as big a tournament as it is now. Yeah, that's true. Um, and that, and we won it we won the gold medals and, and my brother and I were recognized at a, um, <clears throat> at a reception back in our hometown in red deer, which was very nice. And yeah. That. But, 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 I mean, two days later, after we got back, my brother and I were back uh in Lethbridge playing for the Lethbridge Broncos in uh, junior and we were, you know, finishing out the year and getting ready
1: for the playoffs. It's a quick transition, hey? Eh? Yeah. Um was. and then so after after junior year drafted by the Quebec Nordiques, um did you know how crazy the French fans were out there? Or like was it something you weren't used to, all those crazy fans? Uh well, I, you know, being in in the province of Quebec, I mean,
2: watching the Montreal Canadiens and and know how rabid their fan base was watching TV and on Hockey Night in Canada, um, I knew about that. But going to Quebec it was kind of like the, I don't know, the weak sister kind of a thing, uh, <laughs> uh, as far as the Nordiques. I mean, it was the Montreal Canadiens are such a huge brand, and they they had such a strong uh, team. And when I joined the NHL. I mean, Montreal still had Larry Robinson and Guy LaFleur, and I mean they just they, they were such a dynamic team and brand. And the Nordiques though were, were up and coming. And uh um it was it was amazing the, the rivalry. So yes, uh was I a little surprised. Yes, I knew that the 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 fan interest and, and just the crazy interest in the teams and, and the battle of Quebec and that but I didn't realize until I got there and it, it was a lot of fun. I mean, I played seven years in Quebec enjoyed every minute of it. We beat them a couple of times in the playoffs. They beat us a couple of times. We had the big war there, in the one year and the Valentine's day massacre. I was a part of that. And that's <laughs> oh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. No no surprise, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the rivalry was very good. I, and I've said, it, I, I just had just did a, an interview with a uh, author that's writing a book actually on the Quebec Nordiques, And he asked me if, if I would love to see the Nordiques back in the NHL, I, I love, I, I'd love to see them because yeah. the, the fans are so knowledgeable and so passionate there that it, it would be great. I just don't know how they're going to do it here in the, in the short term.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I think if you look at, I mean, you use Winnipeg as an example, like yes, the smaller city, but I mean, the reality is the fans are there and I mean, the following's there. So I do think if you look at, I mean, everyone's saying Arizona, if anyone does move, it would be them. Um, but i do think that if they did decide to move i think quebec should be number 1 because of the fact like they're going to have the following and it will not be difficult for them to sell seats at all for like years well there's
2: just the only thing is though. It, it, it's a little bit more than that there's uh there's a corporate sponsorship and yeah there's a little bit more involved than just filling oh there's no doubt that they they'd fill the, every seat every game but mm. there's a little bit more more to it than that and uh but i i like i said personally i'd, I'd love to see them back in the league uh, somehow some way uh and someday and i'll yeah. leave it at that
0: yeah especially like you said with them being the little sister i mean montreal gets all the bigger ones in that area anyways yeah. so um We'll just kind of keep with Quebec quickly here. So, I mean, what what's kind of one of the craziest stories you have when playing in Quebec, I mean, outside of hockey, whether it's like, I don't know, a dressing room story or, I mean, look, like inner, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, um, just engaging with fans at a local bar or something like that.
2: Yeah, I mean, the, the one thing about it, was because Quebec City is, is fairly small, and when I was there and it was the only professional sport, I mean, and there's no baseball, football, or anything like that. We were it. So... <laughs> It, it was kind of a blessing, a, a bit that uh, whenever we went anywhere, like myself, you're always recognized. Always yeah. recognized. It'd be like you know, in Calgary, um, when Jerome McGinnla and 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 uh, Mike Vernon and uh, Joe Newendike and and those guys, uh, they couldn't go to too many places or around town in Calgary and not be recognized. Everybody recognized them. So it was the same way in Quebec City, but the fans were always very respectful. Uh, very kind to me and that um, I'll tell a quick story you, you asked for a kind of a funny story. <laughs> so it was my first year. And of course I don't speak too much French, but I'm taking French lessons, which the team supplied after practice. So I'm taking these uh, French lessons. So the PR director comes to me and our games used to be on, on, um, if we weren't on hockey night in Canada, CBC, it was uh, called cat uh, Saison, uh, four seasons. So um, they asked me and they said, Hey, Randy, you think your, your French is good enough to do an interview in the first intermission. It'll be in French. I said, sure, why not? You know, 19 years old or whatever. Yeah. So I go and do the interview and they gave me the questions in advance. And so I I was practicing in the afternoon, but I still wasn't, guys, I wasn't very good. So anyways, back then in the, in the locker room, they used to have the TVs up in the corner and that. And my defense partner my first year was Moose DuPont, Andre Moose DuPont. I was 19, he was like 36. So I do the interview and I come back to the locker room. And I was so proud of myself that a I I finished it and I walked in and I said, Hey, Moose. And everybody was all standing sitting around. And I said, What'd you think? What'd you think? And he goes, We couldn't understand a damn word you said. (laughs) But 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 the reason I tell that story, guys, is and I've told it many times, is because I tried. And as we all know, you guys, you guys know uh, up in Canada, I mean, the French culture and the French people are very proud of their language and their culture. Mm -hmm. And, and because I tried, I could do no wrong after that. Right. Yeah, it it was, it was, they, they loved it. And, 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 and looking back now, I'm sure they couldn't understand a word I was saying. I was just blabbering stuff in French and (laughs) and that, but, uh, but they liked it and that as long as you give the effort, there mm-hmm. and uh you have a good
1: attitude about their their language and their culture you, you'll you never have a problem awesome yeah i honestly i know probably like five french words so i'd be in the exact same boat but yeah it's almost like a respect thing as long as yeah. you tried and they saw that you were at least yes, kind of absolutely and, there, and you know what
2: unfortunately unfortunately guys there were so many players that came through while i while i was there that uh, did not like the experience. Yeah. Um, that yeah. Never really accepted uh, the French and the culture and everything, and they wanted out and demanded trades and that. Mm. I never did. I, I uh, you know, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed my time there, and you know, to be able to play with the Stashney brothers, Dale Hunter, Michelle Goulet, um, uh, you know, it goes on and on. Dan Bouchard was there. Um, I'm actually so old that the, one of our goaltenders when I first got there was John Garrett.
1: Yeah. ChiChi that's
2: yeah. A, a been long time analyst for the Vancouver Canucks out, out on, in Vancouver so yeah he was um he was one of our goaltenders and that but the play with Dale Hunter and uh and that but I was I was the youngest guy in the team by by a long shot and I was the only rookie the first two years so it was difficult sometimes you know you get a little homesick even though you're playing in the NHL because really after practice and after games where am I going yeah you know? exactly yeah so anyways
1: uh, and you mentioned how obviously hockey was a lot tougher back then. Um in '85. So I guess about four years into your career, you guys made it to the conference finals and played against the Flyers, which included some of the hardest guys to play against, like Pocket, Dave Brown. Um, so tell us what your mindset was like going into that series um and the series itself. Like how was that series? Well, we were we were flying high because
2: uh, you know, we'd won the first uh what one or two uh rounds and then it had to the go yeah. against the Flyers and that Dave Poulin was a big part of that. Well, yeah. what I remember, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, what I remember about that series was obviously the d- disappointment that we lost. We started the series in Quebec. We won the first two games. We're in Philadelphia and we had a lead in the third period and it's not like it is today. And we keep going back. Peter Stastny, our best player breaks a blade. It broke. Remember those old tuck yeah. skates that we used mm-hmm. to have? He broke it. So it wasn't like today where they could just swipe things out and 30 and that, seconds. Yeah. They had to take the hole and take the rivets out and that. We missed them for about 10 or 12 minutes. They were, actually did it pretty quick. But in during that time, the Flyers came back, overtook the game, won the game, and they won, they end up winning four straight against us. And that was that was yeah. disappointing because we really felt that we had a, a good team to go to the Stanley Cup finals that year, but unfortunately we were unable
0: to. Yeah, hockey's a game of momentum, as they all say. I mean, and I, you can just use that as a basis. I mean, it took them 10, 12 minutes to kind of just get the momentum for the series, and they went from there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well,
2: uh, then, th- th- you know, I mean, Peter Stashney at the time is one of the most dominant players in the game. And, um, yeah, to lose him, I mean, it'd be like, like nowadays, uh, you know, like the Edmonton Oilers losing Connor McDavid or Leon Dreisaitl <laughs> yeah. for a period in a, in a real tough,
0: uh, tight game. It's going to make a difference. It's oh, really going to make a Huge difference. difference. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that kind of leads into my next question. So based upon your, uh, almost 1700 penalty minutes, um, your, was your role, did you find like it was to like protect guys like Stastny or like Brian Leach when yeah. you were with the Rangers um, and kind of like, was it one of the things you planned before a game where you're like, oh fuck, like I'm probably gonna have to go with this guy tonight, or I mean, yeah. this guy's out there or did was it more like reactionary?
2: Yeah. And I didn't consider myself a heavyweight, um, unfortunately, but a lot of times I was lined up against heavyweights or whatever. <laughs> I like to say, you know, I was in so many fights, whatever. I didn't win too many of them and that, but I, I knew what my role was and, and the play, play tough and, and be play tough against, you know, uh, try and clear in front of the net. Those were back in the days when you could cross-check guys in front of the net. Obviously now you can't do that anymore, but, um, but yeah, protect your teammates and and that, but I never consider myself a heavyweight. Um, and there were some, a lot of heavyweights
0: <laughs> back like, then. Yeah.
2: Oh my goodness. We used to go into uh, Edmonton and they would have Semenko and if they didn't have Semenko, they would have McSorley and Jesus all Christ. these guys. Oh my goodness
1: kind of scary dudes.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And then you go to Calgary and they had Tim Hunter and Jim Poplinski (laughs) and, and oh my goodness. And then you go, then you go into Vancouver and they had Garth Butcher and (laughs) Daryl Stanley and Gino object. And it it, it seemed like every team carried three or four really tough, tough players. And
0: and that you don't see that anymore. Mm -hmm. No, who would, I guess like, who would you say was the toughest that you had to fight that or ever fought?
2: Uh, Oh, there's a number. I mean, uh, I played when, when Bob Probert and Joey Kosher were yeah. in Detroit. Uh, I mean, uh, oh, boy. They didn't call them the Bruise Brothers for nothing.
1: Um, <laughs> Not Chris a bad Nyland, nickname to have.
2: Yeah, Chris Nyland was very tough going up, and especially the rivalry and playing against him for almost seven years. And then we ended up being teammates and good friends. We both played for the Rangers at the same time. Oh, so that was, a little, that was a little funny in that. Every team, uh, uh, Brown, Brown. In Philadelphia, uh, they had um, Craig Baruby was in Philadelphia yeah, at the time, and, and then in, in Washington as well, and that and, oh, it goes on and on. Uh, you guys are giving me bad memories now. Thinking <laughs> back <a little laughs> and that, but yeah, there was there was a lot of there was a lot of tough players back then.
1: Yeah, um, on the internet, which we all know is always one hundred percent correct, it said that you had seventy nine <laughs> fighting majors, twelve of them which were against Boston um three of them against the flames and i'm glad you brought up tim hunter because he was actually my junior coach in moose jaw so i'm wondering mm-hmm. if you actually ever got a fight tim
2: yes i did and i didn't How'd realize it i didn't re- no it did not go very well it did <laughs> not go very well and especially when i used to come out and play calgary and edmonton and you know i'd have my family there my parents and <laughs> and, and that and family and brothers and sisters and friends there and that and uh yeah yeah, the one time uh, I had to square off with Tim Hunter and and uh, I forgot that he's lefty and, and mm. it didn't end very well. Guys. It, <laughs> it, it actually, you know, well. it was crazy. Down too. goes down goes Moeller. Down goes <laughs> <Mueller. laughs>
1: the amount of stories he had too about like just that era of fighting. I think he fought McSorley like twenty times or. Oh, something. I know. Yeah, those are the, the you talk about the 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 Montreal. Canadians, Quebec, Nordiques rather. I
2: mean, the Edmonton Oil, oh, back in those 80s and that, when they each of them had not only the great talent, offensive talent on each mm, team, yeah. and obviously with Gretzky and Messi and that, but Calgary had uh, a, a very strong team as well, but they had all those tough guys and that. You know, you talk about, uh, and I ended up playing with Joey Kosher as well, and he's a good friend of mine, and he heads up the Detroit Red Wings uh, alumni, but it was, I think, his first year and we went in there i was with the rangers at the time and i i had no idea who he was i had no idea and we bumped and next thing you know the gloves are off and he swung and hit me right here and split my helmet and i woke up this was in the first period i woke up halfway uh halfway through the second period on the trainers table at the uh, at Joe Louis Arena in Detroit if you would have hit me any if he would have hit me anywhere in the face, he would have killed me. But he hit oh, me right oh, there in the God. right there in the helmet. The most that. solid part. Yeah. Um and and Joey kosher was uh, you know, he really sacrificed because his hands are like hamburger now. He used to yeah. when I played with him for the Rangers and he would get into the fights, we'd be busting back to westchester from madison square garden or wherever we're going and the trainers would put a great big uh five gallon bucket full of water and ice and he used to just dunk his hands in the ice and for an hour at a time um because he had such swollen hands whatever and many surgeries later that's Mm -hmm. one of the reasons why he had to retire but uh what he did and sacrificed for the detroit red wings and the new york rangers in his career whatever um yeah that's uh that's
0: that's it, it's quite a sacrifice for for some of those players you don't hear about that anymore no, no. yeah right. and I, we've talked about you know a lot about the difference in the lifestyle obviously like back then i mean the playing styles but like kind of go let's go into like the transition into like the lifestyle so i mean back like nowadays you got your cool downs your protein shakes after the games i mean was back then it's like more of a like let's shower and then go grab some beers or like kind of just explain the difference
2: Oh uh, well, my first year in the league of the Quebec Nordiques. I mean, we had 12 guys on the team that smoked. So and smoking was allowed in locker rooms. So oh and and after yeah. every game, there'd be a you know a 24 pack or two of uh, O'Keefe's uh, there. And and you look back and you can if you if you see some of those old interviews, you you'll see guys after the game like even like Guy Lafleur. Um, you know, they're interviewing him, he's having a cigarette and, you know, he's sipping on a Molson and having a cigarette and, you know, yeah, we played well and blah, 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 and all this (laughs) kind of stuff. Yeah. You don't, you don't see that anymore. And I, I, I mean, it's, I think it's good, but that was, that was the, that was the culture. That was the lifestyle back then. Um, guys nowadays, I I have the utmost respect for NHL players and pro athletes in general, the, um, they, how well they take care of themselves and, 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 and why not? guys uh, the money that you can make and the the careers are relatively short for every every player that plays a thousand games in the national hockey league there's a thousand players that don't get to 20 games in the nhl that's Put that in perspective.
0: Yeah, that's an unbelievable. You know, there's so many strategy.
2: guys that that only have a cup of coffee, or or they get their their original contract, and maybe they play a year in the minors. Maybe the second year they get called up in a few games, and then if they don't cut it, you know, they're off in, in the minor leagues, uh, or what, or have to go to Europe or whatever. Um, so. I I, I really do have the utmost respect for players nowadays and how they they treat their bodies. And, and I know our athletes here in in Florida with the Panthers, they get the best of the best. We have trainers and, um, and, and coaches and that skill coaches, mental coaches, nutritionists, um, physiotherapists, chiropractors, you name it. And, and it, but, but there's high pressure. And I think everybody realized because, there's 15 guys that want to take your job and would love to be making three, four $5 million a year Absolutely, as a 21, yeah. 22 years old. So you can understand how serious these, uh, these players take it maybe a little bit more than when I played.
0: Yeah, yeah. just a little bit. And <coughs> I think that has an attest to like why the game is probably the best it's ever been like all around, you look at the skill wise and just the speed in general. I mean, I think you could argue that it's the best it's ever been. Obviously, some people from your generation might argue otherwise, but I truly believe like the balance of skill and you got like, you still have like the fights when it's needed. I mean, when a game's kind of going sideways, you still have guys still standing up for their teammates. So I think, I mean, that just is indicative of just how well the players have taken care of their bodies. So. Yeah. And, and,
2: and, and, and that's the way I think that's the way it should be. I I tell stories and people don't believe me. I get drafted in the first round of Quebec Nordiques the first three or four years. That I was even playing in the league, um, I'd come home at the at the end of the at the end of the year. I'd, I'd work six, seven, eight weeks of hockey school. That was my summer money. I mean. <laughs> Hey, do you do you think NHL players right now have to work eight weeks of hockey nope. school? And I do not, not think so. Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't doubt that. They can
1: retire after three or four years nowadays. All is. yeah. They,
2: I mean, the, the money's so much, uh, so much greater now, and it should be. It should be. I mean, they're world class athletes, and they mm-hmm. they take care of, uh, of themselves, and and the show and the skill that they that they provide. It. Uh, I think it's. I think it's right. But it was a lot different back in the early '80s, mid '80s. Yeah.
1: Um. So I guess towards the last. <laughs> two or three years um, of your career in the early nineties that might have not quite been when that culture kind of started to change. But um, one of your last years you played in Buffalo with some greats, you had LaFontaine, McGillney, Andrew Chuck, your goalies were Hassock and fear. Just talk about what it was like playing with those guys. um, And also like, who was the biggest character out of those guys on your team or just in general?
2: Well, you, you don't forget about Dale Howard, Chuck. He Black was there as, as well, well yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, Mike Ramsey on the fence. Uh, Doug Bodger was there. I mean, my defense partner at the time was uh, Peter Svoboda, who had a he had a very good career as well. Very uh, good, uh, talented defenseman. It, it was a lot of fun, and we had the characters. You talk about characters. We had guys like Colin Patterson was there. Davey Hannon. Um, Uh, Wayne Presley was there. Uh, Oh, my Gord Donnelly, uh, Donalod death. And we had so many different personnel, Robbie Ray, Brad May. (laughs) May. Oh boy. We had a tough team too, but um, uh, yeah, to to play with Dominic Tasek, which, you know, we traded for him Mm -hmm. and nobody had really known. I mean, he'd only played a few games with Chicago yeah. and, and Mike Keenan was there. He didn't really was, wasn't a big fan of his. So they made the trade and, and, you know, all of a sudden the hall of fame career later and what he did and for the Buffalo Sabres, but it was, it was special to to, to play with guys like uh, the talent of Howard Chuck, but, um, uh, LaFontaine and McGilney were just on fire. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely on fire. And, and, uh, uh, Alex McGillney was uh, was 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 really something special too. I got along with, great with Alex. He got along great with everybody. But here's a guy. He hated the practice. He hated to fly. He hated everything about the game, except the except the the paychecks. You know. <laughs> but I tell you what though, when he stepped on the ice for the games, boy, could he fly! And, uh, he was in attack mode all the time, but it was just, it was, it was kind of funny because he hated everything else about, um, (laughs) about the game. And he, and he really was fearful of flying and, and that caused him a lot of stress and that and going on. And, and back then when we did charter, we had these air Ontario double prop planes that were just like all (laughs) over the place. Oh yeah. I mean. It, it wasn't pretty, and and so many times, and, and flying, and living in Buffalo, and having to go to Toronto and and Montreal and and Quebec and Hartford up in the Northeast, and all these snowstorms and that. Um, it's amazing we that that we didn't uh, nosedive one of those planes because they <laughs> going through those <laughs> snowstorms at the time. Yeah. It was it was pretty uh, white knuckle, that's for sure.
0: Yeah. So that team, I mean, we like we look at the record, and you guys were around five hundred. Like, kind of what, what happened? That like, did you guys obviously expect to do a lot better than that?
2: Yeah, I, I, I think so. Um, yeah, you know, you look back and on, like you're mentioning on paper, we should have been a lot better and, and, and that, but, uh, yeah, uh, uh, obviously I remember we won one series against the Boston Bruins, I think. And then, uh, we lost, a uh, uh, a series against the New Jersey Devils, and we went to what five or six overtimes, and it was Dave Hannon that scored the end up winning the the the, uh, the game that that lasted till like three o'clock in the morning, and then we had to go back to to New Jersey, and we lost a real tough game, and lost the series against the Devils, and that was heartbreaking because we really thought that was our chance
1: to maybe go far in the playoffs, but yeah. it never materialized. No, that's that's that sucks. Um, so the one guy that everyone's probably waiting for me to ask about is gretzky um you and him have almost identical stat lines um ah! <laughs> so do you agree that he was is is the best player of all time yeah. or, or was there somebody okay so i guess if you do believe so was who else was maybe kind of I, didn't i've get near for, enough recognition
2: i i've said it for years guys and I, I haven't changed my tune wayne gretzky is the greatest player to ever 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 play the game good he, he was not the most uh, talented though that no. I've ever seen. Who was Mario Mar- Mar- yeah. Mar- yeah. Mar- we Mar- Lemieux? Yeah, Mario Lemieux was. He was unbelievable, and that that's no slight on on, on Gretz. And and uh, Wayne is 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 great a person and what he's done to grow the sport, especially in the states, and what he did and what he's continues to do um, representing the game of hockey. The greatest saying that I've ever heard in my life. The greatest saying was from Wayne Gretzky. Everything I have is be, is because of the game. Everything yeah. that I have and accomplish is because of the game. And I really respect that. And I, I, I feel I'm in the same position as well. Everything that I have is is basically because of the game. And and uh, you have to respect the game. But um, no, he, he was – here's a quick story. So right when they're in their height, 86, 87 – around that time when they're just flying and that Gretzky Messier and, and yeah, 200 and some points a, a year. So we go out, I'm with the Nordiques, and we go out to Edmonton and we start a road trip out in Edmonton. No, we started in Winnipeg. We won in Winnipeg, went to Edmonton and all of a sudden, here we go. And it's a big, big game. And the, and the, you know, the Stashney brothers, whatever. Um, We were up five, I believe it was five to one with like two minutes left in the first period we had shocked them they just weren't ready yeah. to play whatever we're up five to one dale hunter takes a major penalty for high sticking five minute high sticking or whatever i i believe we lost 11-6 <laughs> we were up five to one we lost 11-6 yeah
0: it
2: it, it, Paul Coffey had a goal and five assists. Gretzky had two goals, three assists. Uh, Messier, uh, Glenn Anderson, and that it was an onslaught. And then after that disappointment, we go down the road to Calgary, and I think we lost four nothing to the Flames, and we never touched the puck. There was a lot of there was a lot of teams, guys, uh, back in those years, where a lot of teams went 0 for Alberta. They yeah. they would go oh, in absolutely. and just get slaughtered yeah. by the by the Oilers and that. But anyways, in saying that, you asked the question. I think Gretzky was the greatest player that ever played the game. Um, unfortunately, I never got to see uh, only on TV. Bobby Orr, big Bobby Orr fan, yeah, and uh, the utmost respect. Obviously, uh, uh, Gordy Howe, Mister Hockey, uh, but Mario Lemieux was really the the some of the things that he could do with with the pocket and 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 that kind of size but he had the reach and and the moves that he could make and but the other thing too is that they were surrounded uh, well, not not at the beginning for Mario Lemieux because uh, you know the Penguins struggled for the first couple of years he got in the league, but they built a pretty good team, and he had a lot of weapons around him. And of course Gretzky, with those Oiler teams, he had a lot of weapons and and a lot of people around it and that. But two very special players that uh, uh, dear to my heart that have grown the game, and 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 we can, you know, I'm very very proud that I was able to, to play against them. I actually have a picture. In the kitchen right here yeah i can kind of see yeah can you see over there yeah that um that's me and mario lemieux a good friend of mine was a photographer for the uh, buffalo sabers named billy whippard and he took that picture and actually gave that picture me and and mario and uh at a game at the uh the old odd auditorium in buffalo so um yeah that's one of my what that's one of my favorites uh that's awesome i've
0: I've got a few got a few of them around and that's here yeah well this has been it's been like absolutely phenomenal um so I'll just like we'll wrap up with one more quick question I mean what do you think is one of the funniest or like most memorable stories that you would have to have during your playing days
2: um well I'll tell, I'll tell you the story with the day I got drafted I got drafted in the at the Montreal form. I went down to Montreal and had dinner with my agent. We did a couple of interviews with a couple of teams, but I knew that if, uh, if, and the Quebec Nordiques basically said that if I was available at pick number 11, I was going to be picked by the Nordiques. Okay. So we get up in the morning back then the draft was only one day and it was, they started at like nine o'clock in the morning. And then they went right till eight o'clock at night, but it was done in one day. They do the first round. I get drafted 11th overall. I come out of the stands. I come down. You know the PR guy brings me over the table. You meet everybody and blah 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 blah. Michelle Bergeron's there. Maurice Filion, the general manager. Back then, and I, I don't know if they did it any other places, but up in the in the Montreal Forum, the old Montreal Forum, they had a very fancy restaurant that was upstairs.
1: <clears throat>
2: After the first round, they broke for lunch everybody broke for lunch so we had a table the whole table and they invited me to go up and have lunch with the team oh you know general manager the coach and all the scouts and everybody were all there so I got my tweed my tweed uh blazer on with my (laughs) tweed tie okay so I go upstairs with these guys and we're all standing around and I didn't realize or whatever but they'd already served the soup cup of soup and it was tomato soup And everybody had a cup of tomato soup in this table that had probably 12, 13, 14 chairs around. This was ours. All right, let's let's sit down. They're going to serve lunch or whatever. So I go to sit down and my tie goes right into the tomato soup, (laughs) (laughs) right into the tomato soup. And I'm looking around and there's still, there's only a couple of us that have sat and the rest are starting to, you know, make their way to sit down. And I didn't think that anybody was looking. So I took it out. And I rang the tomato soup out <laughs> of like my towel. tweed t- t- towel, and I grabbed my 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 uh, napkin that I had, whatever, and I wrapped it around, and I just shoved it down into my pants as far as I could <laughs> to make sure. So, if, 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 if pictures later, once the draft's over. The, the, my white shirt down by my belt buckle looked like I got stabbed. It was all red. Was like Somebody had stabbed me or whatever, but uh, very embarrassing. And that was my, that was my uh, draft day, but it was an exciting day. The other story that I tell about my draft day was um, right before the draft started. And of course, everybody, we're all nervous. We're all sitting in the stands and we're just like, Oh, and that, and of course, when you're nervous, you, Gotta go and go to the washroom, right? Yeah. I come down out of the stands and I come around the corner at the old Montreal Forum and I go into the bathroom and I'm standing at the stall and and go into the bathroom and I look up and it's Larry Robinson who is like <laughs> this big and I and I went like this and I stuck out my hand to shake. It in. Mr. Robinson, I, I,
1: I like right I, in the urinal. My,
2: <laughs> oh yeah, right at the urinal. And I, I shook and I shook his hand. He probably looked at me and went, "What is what this the, guy doing?" What or the, whatever. What he hasn't hell. washed his hands. But I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I didn't uh, give up that opportunity to shake no. Larry Robinson's hand. He was one of my heroes as well. Of course, growing up and seeing him almost on a weekly basis on Hockey Night in Canada. Mm-hmm. So there's your two stories of uh, a uh, wet behind the ears. Um, <laughs> guy from the prairies when he got to, got to Montreal, uh, the first year go out my first year we go to this fancy restaurant and everybody's ordering Caesar salad. And I said, yeah, I'll have a Caesar salad. Can I get the thousand Island dressing with that? I didn't, I had no idea that Caesar salad came with its own dressing. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was thousand island dressing. So those oh are the God. things, those are the things that you learn
0: when you're 18, yeah. 19 years old, guys. That's yeah. incredible. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Randy. This has been absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's my
2: pleasure anytime and uh, good luck with the podcast and and that hopefully you guys uh, warm up and stay warm and,
0: and enjoy yeah. yourself
2: absolutely. and, and, and uh, good luck in school as well. Awesome. Yeah. Thank, thank you, thank you so much. All right. Thanks guys.
0: Awesome interview. Uh, Like we said, even before uh, we sent it over, I mean, we knew it was going to be absolutely phenomenal. Um, Cale, how did you you enjoy it? Yeah, honestly, like we said earlier, it was just, it was so
1: much fun. And obviously he's had years of experience and he works in the broadcast industry, so you'd expect him to be a good speaker. But it was just like so natural and every single story he said kind of just perfectly flowed into a new one. And it didn't seem like it was like we even had staged questions. Yeah. The no. naturals that could have Yeah, it Yeah,
0: it was honestly perfect. I mean, nothing was forced, and that's really what Not to toot our own podcast but it was perfect. Um, I can't wait for the amount of people who are going to chirp us for saying, wow, these guys are just trying to be spitting chicklets. Yeah. I mean, that's going to be pretty fun. Even though we're
1: definitely going to tag spitting chicklets just so they can see that we're better than them now. It was a very, like, chiclets esque interview. It like, was. Because, like, there's some serious talk, and then we kind of get down, like, a little i mean i made a couple jokes about his stat line with gretzky yeah the exact same
0: yeah we wanted we wanted to ask him if he was a boober buck guy but uh we kind of figured it wouldn't <laughs> yeah. be too appropriate for the situation the very end just ruined the whole entire interview with that question yeah he just goes fuck you guys delete this whole thing <laughs> um yeah so that was randy moeller absolutely phenomenal mm-hmm. um he mentioned after that he'd be willing to come on again so if you guys like this one um we'll probably see it again yeah yeah let us know um, if you do because
1: if, if you guys do like you just said we'll definitely have him back
0: on yeah i mean that one story about the tomato soup i mean just imagine on your draft day i mean you, i would you, cry you, you ruin your tie by dipping in tomato soup and then you basically ruin the rest of your dress clothes ruin the trying first to hide, impressions even too. yeah by trying to hide the tie so it was just I mean, fucking slob yeah uh unbelievable interview like we said um all right let's transition now uh kale what'd you get up to this weekend Oh,
1: i guess it's been a while this past
0: weekend so a couple days ago i was well
1: fuck man i work now which i mentioned a few times and i just basically do school and fucking marinate and eat food on weekdays and then i work on weekends because that's all i have time for so yeah friday saturday worked sunday was my dad's birthday actually big five one so shout out to the old man um my mother and i went and <laughs> fuck, this was actually hilarious We went up to Crossfield, so not far from Airdrie, to surprise him because he's coaching out there. And uh, he didn't know we were coming. We get there. I sent him a picture of literally him on the bench right across from me coaching. He replies about second period intermission between second and third. He goes, where would you see that? (laughs) I'm like, what? So I'm like, took it. And then I didn't want to, like, text him again saying, like, where the fuck are you? Like, hurry up. So he goes, you were at the game? I'm like, yeah, I'm still here. You in the parking lot? I'm with mom. Five minutes later, he goes, we just fucking left. I'm like oh shit Your dad just left you He had there.
0: no clue we were there We were there to surprise him I don't understand Where he thought You would have got a photo Of him coaching then <laughs> I mean it's not like He's coaching the NHL and <laughs> there's photographers And shit but Twitter I mean. Twitter's posting about him Like head coach Jason Cluston <laughs> coach. But I mean,
1: I mean Realistically It was his birthday So maybe he thought Like they posted a shout out For his birthday But
0: no it was just me Nope Just, just you being but your dad's Personal It was
1: only five minutes out So we, we met him on the highway But it was yeah, all it was all good
0: very cool it was um, funny other yeah. than
1: that how did you uh it was good you go i i won
0: a lot of money this weekend um first time in a long time that i've won money betting that's such bullshit man. um i won many pff, wow i actually sorry i should have went with that i won many uh fights on the weekend uh, i won six out of six bets <laughs> you won fights um i didn't win fights um I mean, I had no other choice but to bet on Francis Ngannou. Yeah. Um, even if you don't know who he is, just look up a picture and you'll understand why I bet on him. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a freak of nature, and that just kind of leads me like, to a quick question, Kale. Huh? Would you rather fight Francis Ngannou or a silverback Gorilla. Gorilla. Yeah, I sure. I genuinely think I'd be able to evade a gorilla. I think this, like, I I wouldn't be able to like get away from this guy. He's six foot. I think he's six five, two ninety or something. No, he's two forty five. Like, but pure muscle.
1: I don't know he's, why I said two ninety. Yeah, I was just trying to two ninety is like an off, offensive lineman in the <laughs> NFL. Still just fucking, he's boys. huge. And like, if again, if you're a fan of UFC, you know. That he has, like, the most oh, powerful you know who punch he of all yeah. time ever recorded in history.
0: Yeah, no, he literally does. Um, I saw the trailer for that Jackass Forever movie. He, mm-hmm. like, punches one of the guys in the nuts. And I,
1: like, what the I, fuck? I don't know, man. I, I don't man, know Even if a, I flick, do. a flick I don't and a ball hurts. I wouldn't
0: do that for a, a movie, man. No. I, wouldn't, like, I wouldn't do that for,
1: actually, I'd probably
0: have a price. I'd probably have a realist, like, $100,000, I'd probably oh, do it. Okay, sure, but. Like a realist, like a thousand, no, I wouldn't be able to do that. I think a hundred thousand would be
1: my price. The fights were good though. Cause yeah, I was fucking, yeah. man, Saturday I was working. I literally missed Saturday football. I missed battle of Alberta and I missed the fights because of oh, work. Saturday. I had a three till 1030 shift, which yeah. is literally three till 1030. Everything was just, if you're a sports yeah, fan, was, you were in a heyday. It
0: was an unbelievable day of sports. Um, even if you don't like sports, I mean, I, I know a lot of people, um, friends of ours who are females, Um, dudes who don't even like sports, they just, they had said it was fucking awesome watching the fights and everything going on. So, um, that was that. Um, yeah, I won money. So it feels good. I I haven't won money in a long time. And, um, for me, uh, my bank account was hurting. So it was nice to get like a nice little boost of a few hundred dollars. Well, I'm glad you made
1: money because I haven't made money in a bet for like two months. You were working though. So you were making money. Yeah, actually true. I got paid today. Yeah. Fucking feels good, but I'll spend it all on the rent. But, um, I fucking, the only bets I have left i have two bets they're all futures i have fucking uh oh i have only one left the Bengals. i need the bangles to win <laughs> fucking super It'd bowl it be unreal i wouldn't mind if they did that uh, if they do awesome. i win a lot of money because i bet it of um, the year
0: yeah uh that was basically our week like not nothing too exciting no um for the weekend the school man it's too yeah, fucking busy now. Yeah, life's busy nowadays um i just need to quickly rant about that fucking guy in our apartment building who works here Mm-hmm. The one who looks like the dog with the hoodie meme. Yeah. You know what meme I'm talking about. He has about. the world's smallest face. His face literally looks like that dog. Yeah. But today I was working out in the gym and there's like, there's a foot <laughs> between me and the mirror. Um, and I was on a bench and like not, not enough room for a person, quite honestly. But this guy decided that he had to walk right in front of me and stand there to put tape on a wall that was to the right by two feet. But he decided that he had to stand right in front of me. So not only did I have to look at his weird ass face, but I also had to smell his body odor mixed with cigarettes. And again, not only that, but why the fuck wouldn't he wait 35 seconds? He, he also could have asked, hey, yeah. do you mind moving quickly? But he just literally walked in this. I'd say he had about, like, I'm not a mathematical guy or like. Um, Even though you're in accounting. Yeah, I'm not a mathematical <laughs> architecture or anything like that. But I think he probably had like four square feet to work with in front of me that he had to stand in i think i don't know i don't know
1: well that's i don't know a whole lot
0: but regardless it's just like holy fuck man
1: personal bubble
0: i just couldn't like like and with COVID too like i don't and the fact you smell like cigarettes man like he's one of those guys who just you know for a fact hates his job and he wants everyone else to just know it i and i told you this like i told you this when i was coming up from the gym and i was like he has that type of personality where he would blame Everyone for where he is, like, why he's yeah. doing maintenance in an apartment building. Mm-hmm. Like, he would blame other people. Like, there's, it's fine to work maintenance in an apartment building, yeah. but if you asked him about his career, he would be like, oh, oh I'm here because I got fucked over by this yeah. guy and this happened. Workers'
1: comp fucking couldn't pay me enough so I had to get this fucking job. Yeah,
0: or some shit like that. he, he robs me the wrong way. That's all I'm going to say. But, yeah. No,
1: that's fucking... That's that was today and that was the weekend. I got fucking nothing else because my life's literally just been school. Yeah, this week.
0: Um basically whenever you've been busy and like I haven't had shit to do, um I've put myself through the agony of watching Two Hot Tandle season three. <sighs> yeah, I can. Um I, told, I, I, I said that for fucking season two. I've never watched that. Yeah, dumb I won't video. I like I won't get into it for the like into detail for the sake of anyone and everyone listening. Um but here, I have two major takeaways from this season or like the show in general. Mm-hmm. Um Number one, every person on the show for season two and three is so fucking stupid because the producers don't even change the set or anything. No. Like, you know what – they know exactly where they are. It's all fucking fake. It looks the exact same. So number one, I hate how staged it is. Yep. And the second takeaway that I have, and this has to do with me, is compared – like, I actually have a pretty good personality. If I compare myself to any of those fucking dudes on any of those seasons, I think I have a pretty good personality. Yeah, it's literally one of those shows
1: where it's like – because, again, from Two Out to Handle, season one, which I actually didn't mind, because it was, like, a new show, and, they, they actually, and was, I believe they didn't know It was right movie. when COVID hit, too, right? Yeah. So, so, it was so like, you need something to watch. Yeah, exactly. But I believe, like, well, not that I believe, I know, because I've seen it, every single fucking person, whether they were out after, like, the first eliminations, whatever, they're rich now, and they're famous. And these fucking dumbasses in season three, same thing's going to happen. It's just social media. They're going to get all these followers, yeah. all these sponsors, everything, and just because they're stupid.
0: Yeah, and it's and it's just because they have the publicity, right? And they like, have fake tits. All pl- that's not, why not, not they're on the, the show. dudes. The dudes don't.
1: Probably they got some sort of injection. Testosterone. They <laughs> yeah. definitely all take. That's decent bodies.
0: Yeah. yeah, there's a few guys who you for sure like. It's just, that's it's fucking not a noisy man.
1: Like they're not. It's supposed to be a reality TV show, but it's not real. The situations yeah. are nothing that would never happen it, in real life.
0: And I'd say about like if if you saw the new season, I'd say about half of them aren't even that good looking. Yeah. So well, fuck. compared to the first first season, was phenomenal um yeah so that's too hot to handle season three no more um if i gave it a rating um i'd just give it anxiety yeah nathan kills rating scales i give it anxiety because obviously i did watch it but i was just waiting to get to the end to see who like won i'll be honest so did you finish it i did finish it well don't spoil
1: it because people probably some some of you fucking idiots are probably watching um
0: that's today's show we blabbered on enough we had a really long interview but it was fucking phenomenal yeah um, that's our lives right now. Nothing too exciting. We're really taking it easy with these lockdowns. There's not too much exciting nice things to do. Life so. Um, Kale. Uh, shower thoughts of the day. Shower thought of the day, which we're still gonna have. We're never gonna get rid of it. Never ever. Uh, I can go first here. Sure. Okay. Um, so I was watching Avengers Endgame the other day for like the fifteen hundred thirty seventh time. I think that's actually Thirty seventh accurate. Like I think that's an accurate number. <laughs> and I had a thought about tr- like time traveling and like all the theories people have about it. Mm-hmm. So you know how like they say if you make like a minor change in the past like it's going to drastically change the future? Yeah. How come people in the present don't think they can have that same impact on the future? Oh my god. It's a deep one, right? You're getting deep with that. But like I don't understand why like if you like think about it in hindsight just like that. Think about it if you did a minor income like oh, fuck outcome in the past like say if I threw a paper airplane at someone who didn't expect it before. Mm-hmm. Their theory is that things are going to drastically change in that timeline, okay. but how come things I do right now, if yeah. I change my, like, how come that wouldn't change it? That's, I don't understand. Well, That's a flaw in time travel. So. I, guess
1: you, I guess you just never know, man. You just never know. That's such a terrible
0: explanation. Well, it's, <laughs> you, what just you just well, never know. If you, you're supposed to be an expert on time traveling. That's right. what I'm trying to understand. Let's just
1: say once you get to, like, 10 years down the line... Yeah, so I can't even fucking. I'm trying to I'm trying to say something, but I can't even fucking think of the words because it's actually such a fucking weird concept.
0: But I know what you mean. I'll just put it that way. Time traveling is whack. Yeah. Know.
1: Sorry guys. I yeah. Sorry fucking, guys. I don't
0: know time travel. Yeah. But yeah, I thought. I mean, yeah, I thought. Oh, well, oh my I'm,
1: mine sounds so dumb now. My shower thoughts. <laughs> That's why I went first. That's why I want to go first. <laughs> you want you want to hear? It? Should I even say it? Yeah, just go ahead. We can do it quick. We can literally okay. say it and then end the show. It's impossible to touch any reflection that isn't your own. I can't touch your reflection. I can touch my reflection because I'm it's my finger. But I can't touch your reflection. Crazy, right? Fuck you.
0: <laughs> yeah. Whatever, man. Go fucking all right, guys. Go no change the uh, future, you fucking. Thanks for asshole. listening to this interview guys, if you made it this far. Uh, yeah, that's, that's all I got. What do you want to say something no, before we sign it. up? Love
1: you guys. Bye. Peace out.